1: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real
2: love is calling listen, opens up your eyes. You know, when you first came to Christ, can you relate to that? It was just like this, man, I, I got to really come clean in this vulnerability of coming to the Lord and just confessing my sins and just exposing all this and acknowledging that I'm a sinner and I need Christ. I mean, that can be a, a, bit, a bit vulnerable. And because of that, some people don't want to step into the light. They're like, I, I like the darkness better. I don't really want to come into the light. I don't want people to see how messed up my life has been. Hey, everybody this side of the Garden of Eden is dysfunctional, Right. We are all messed up and sinful and in need of a Savior. This
1: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ephesians. Many of us would be quick to agree that our sin keeps us from coming to the Father. While this is a seemingly obvious statement for anyone with basic Bible knowledge, It's actually a powerful one that reveals how our shame deters us from approaching God, just as with Adam in the Garden of Eden. In today's message, Pastor Gary will teach us that while our sin is indeed shameful before our Heavenly Father, God desires nothing more than for us to choose light over darkness. In his study, you'll be reminded that each and every person has fallen short of God's glory and is in need of a Savior. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: was entirely made up of Jews who were believers in Yeshua, in Jesus as Messiah. It's not until you get to Acts chapter 10, you see Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. And for the early church, among some of the Jews, they were a little skeptical, like, is this supposed to work for the Gentiles too? We're not really sure. Are Gentiles supposed to come into faith in Christ? So the council of Jerusalem got together in Acts chapter 15, and they considered this matter. Is it okay for Gentiles to come to faith in Christ? And the Council of Jerusalem, made up of the those who were the original apostles who who were still living uh, in first century, who were followers of Christ, the original group of the apostles, they got together and uh, plus James, the half brother of of Jesus, and they decided, you know what we need to give we need to give some directives to these Gentile believers because now the Gentiles come into faith and they're presented with the the Jewish law and and they're like, where do we begin with this? And so the Council of Jerusalem said, we're going to just narrow it down to a few important items. And they sent out a letter to those who were early believers among the Gentile communities in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. And this is what the letter says. It's from Acts 15, verses 24 to 29. They say, say, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men. And send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas, and it's a different Judas, and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us and, and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Okay, so we're going we're to pare down all these commandments to just a few. And this is what they said. You are to abstain from... Food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. That's the end of their letter. So they talk about three dietary things and one moral matter. And the one moral matter that they focused on was, was not like, hey, it's probably good not to kill people. Or, hey, probably good not to lie to people. Or, hey, probably good... The one thing they focus on is don't commit sexual sin. Don't commit sexual sin. Now, again, because we're living in a culture these days that have really blurred the lines of sexuality and what is acceptable and what isn't and what is right and what is wrong, and it seems like we're in a day, sadly, where it's almost like anything and everything goes. Let me just give you the biblical definition in a sentence, okay? When the Bible speaks about sexual sin, what exactly is sexual sin? Okay, here it is in a sentence. It's any sexual behavior or expression outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's it. Now, I, I know that that cuts against the grain of what is popularly believed in our world. I know that. I I know that when I start talking about these things that the Bible speaks of, that some people bristle and and they're like, well, we're going to send this guy an email and tell him, you know, you're just antiquated, you believe a bunch of old rules, and, you know, that might be fine for you, but that's that's not the way it works today, you know. Like, like I don't understand how it works. I mean, people have to feel like they educate me, like, how did you even get three kids? You know, I, I just, okay, I understand the whole thing, all right? But what I'm telling you is, irrespective of what the world says, God has a precious gift. And the way that we enjoy his most precious gift, in terms of a marriage between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman, is that sexual expression of oneness that he has gifted to us. And that when we violate the way that he says is best to be unwrapped, this gift we don't enjoy it to its fullest potential. So God wants his best for us. And when we violate his best, then we do a disservice to ourselves. We're robbing ourselves. We're cheating ourselves. So I, I don't say this to put any of you on a guilt trip who have violated You're like, well, that's a pretty clear definition. And now I've kind of, I realize I violated that. The purpose is not to like shame you. The purpose is to inform you. And that Going forward, we should all be mindful of the basic definition of sexual purity and the way the Bible defines it and live our lives in such a way that as Christians, okay, this does not apply to people who who don't have faith in Christ. This won't preach on the street. I'm talking to those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ. Once we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Bible teaches there's a way to live. There's the old way and there's the new way. And the new way is God's way. And God's way is, when it comes to sexuality, the only proper biblical way to enjoy God's gift of sex is within the context of a marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Okay, that's it. So anything outside of that. Now, this leads to the next question, which I often get. Well then, what exactly, when you say any sexual behavior, outside of marriage what constitutes sexual behavior all right so that's a little fuzzy too right because we had a president one time who was just like you know i did not commit sexual. <laughs> it all depends on what is is remember that And so a bunch of people are like, I don't don't even know then. What is sexual expression after all? Okay, so mark it down for you note takers. I'm going to help you right here. This was helpful to me when I learned it years ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. Now here's what it says in the NIV, and it's troubling in the NIV translation. 1 Corinthians 7 1 says, It is good for a man not to marry a woman.
1: What?
2: Now, King James says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. ESV says, it is good for a man not to commit sexual immorality with a woman. So what exactly does that mean? So in your Bibles, in the New Testament, the original language was written in Greek. And so when it says it is good for a man not to marry, that phrase not to marry, NIV, King James, not to touch uh, ESV, not to have sexual relations. It is the Greek word haptomei. Haptomei. H-A-P-T, M-A-I, Haptomei. It is from a root word in the Greek, hapto, which means to kindle a fire. It is good for a man not to kindle a fire is what it literally means in the original language. So what does that mean? Well, think about it in terms of arousal. It is good for man not to get to the place outside of marriage where there is sexual arousal. So sometimes when people say to me, where's that line? You know, I'm dating my girlfriend or my boyfriend, and where's that line? Here's the biblical literal definition. The physical boundary is the point of arousal because once there is physical arousal, you got to stop. You got to stop. Because if you want to really live a pure life before God, and you want to honor him in that relationship, and you want to honor him in your own body, then the arousal, the kindling of a fire, the lighting of a fire, is the point where that is the alarm that this is the boundary and no further. Okay. And this is all as a matter of, Hey, I just, I want to honor God. I want to honor God in, in marriage. Or if you're not married, I want to honor God outside of marriage. I want to honor God with my body. This is all about honoring Him and recognizing His standard for us. And, you know, look, I know for some of you, you're like, wow, you know, are you serious? But again, it's, it's like, this is what God says for us because He wants us to enjoy His best in its proper place, at its proper time. Okay, And when we ignite the passions early, we we rob ourselves of God's very best for us. So he says here, there must not be even a hint, a hint of it. New King James in ESV says, let it not even be named among you that there is any kind of sexual immorality. So the new life is a sexually pure life. Next, we see here also in this passage, he goes on to make a list. He says, or, this is the rest of verse 3, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So, uh, number 13 on our list is the new life replaces impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking with thanksgiving, Uh, because he goes on there to talk about it in contrast. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking where you are out of place, uh, but rather thanksgiving. So replace impure thoughts, motives, greed, and then he goes back to the speech with obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. Replace it with thanksgiving. May we be thankful in what we say. Again, you know, look, James 3.8 says that the tongue is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. I mean, we need God's help to guard our tongue and to put a guard over our mouths that we would, um, you know, listen more and speak less. And so he, he again reiterates this whole thing about, about speech. Look at verse 5. Keep reading with me. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. By the way, that's interesting because he talks about immoral, impure, greedy person as an idolater. Idolatry is basically excessive affection or devotion to something more than God. Anything that has a higher place in your heart than God is idolatry. It can be a material thing. It can be another person. It can be an ambition. Anything that we have an excessive uh, affection or devotion to something more than we have for God is is an idol. John Calvin said the heart is a perpetual idol factory. And so when he speaks here about those who are impure or greedy, the idea behind it is people are always wanting what doesn't belong to them. They're always coveting. They're always wanting more. They're always lusting after. And in that sense, then those things become a higher position in our hearts than God does. That's why he says that person is an idolater. And they they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You, you know, you can't, you can't make God less than and still expect that you can lay claim to the kingdom. He says in, in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. New King James says, do not be partakers with them. ESV says, don't associate with them. So this is part of, you know, the, the new life. And then he adds there in verse eight, he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord live as children of light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth and find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So you'll notice there in that passage I just read that there are many references to light and darkness, to light and darkness. It's number 14 on our list. The new life leaves the darkness and lives as light in the Lord. Now notice he doesn't say steps into the light. He says, actually, we are light in the Lord. Uh, this is similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men, before other people, that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Jesus says that you and I as Christians, the church is the light of the world. And, and that the world is in darkness. Without Christ, uh, Jesus said, "Men don't come into the light uh, for fear that their their dark deeds will be exposed. There is this. There's a vulnerability to it, isn't it? You know, when you first came to Christ, can you relate to that? It was just like this man. I I got to really come clean, and this vulnerability of coming to the Lord and just confessing my sins and just exposing all this and acknowledging that I'm a sinner and I need Christ. I mean, that can be a, a bit a bit vulnerable." And because of that, some people don't want to step into the light. They're like, I I like the darkness better. I don't really want to come into the light. I don't want people to see how messed up my life has been. Hey, everybody this side of the Garden of Eden is dysfunctional, right? We are all messed up and sinful and in need of a Savior. So there's none righteous. No, not one. Don't be afraid to step into the light. I mean, we all are in need of that grace and that forgiveness of Christ. But all throughout the Bible, there's constant references to light and darkness, light and darkness, and it is this symbolism to, to contrast a life in Christ versus a life without him. I mean, think about what darkness symbolizes. You know, darkness always symbolizes, you know, think about what comes out at night. The creepy, crawly little rodents and varmints, they come out at night, all right? Crime rate rises at night. People like to do dark and dirty things in the cover of darkness. And so darkness is symbolic of stuff that happens in terms of what is evil. And so the call here is step into the light. Come into the light. Listen to different times in the Bible. Light and darkness are themes. Listen to First Thessalonians 5. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. First John 1, 5 to 5-7, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So... We are the light of the world. We're to be that bright testimony of Christ. Step into the darkness. Don't be afraid of the darkness. Step into the darkness and be that example of Christ in a dark world. But we have to leave those things that we used to do under the cover of darkness. And we have to be men and women and young people who come into the light and live for the glory of God. Now he adds in verse uh, 15. He says... "But." Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And he says in verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So this is number 15 on the list. He tells us the new life is being filled with the Spirit instead of being drunk on wine. All right, now look, the idea here is there's the possibility, of course, that we can come under the influence of other substances. And so rather than becoming under the influence of alcohol, how, how about coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit? That's what he's saying. You know, don't be drunk with wine. Now, again, you know, look, the, the Bible does not prohibit one from. Drinking some alcohol, obviously the sin is getting drunk, and he and he speaks there about drunkenness when he says, "Do not get drunk on wine or or any intoxicating drink, but be filled with the Holy Spirit." And by the way, in the Greek, it's in continuous action. But be being filled with the Holy Spirit, like constantly, just pray for that overflowing, infilling work of God's Spirit. But the idea here is that there are there's the possibility that something like alcohol. Can put you under its control and you surrender your faculties to it and often then end up doing ridiculous things. That's why he says, you know, uh, do not be filled with wine or don't be drunk with wine. King James says, wherein is excess. NIV says it leads to debauchery. You know, because when people get drunk, they, they do stupid things. I mean, they just do. Because you have no inhibitions, you know you're you're uninhibited now, and so you end up doing things, and people get drunk. They end, you know, they end up doing things, and they don't even remember. And they they're taking their clothes off, and they're waking up with people like, "How did you get into my bed?" And you know, they have they have no idea about what happened in the last twelve hours or whatever. And so that's one kind of being under the influence, and not a good kind. And he says, "How about wanting to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit? How about how about wanting to surrender?" to the power and the control of God's Spirit. How great would that be? I guarantee you, getting, getting under the influence of the Spirit will not land you in jail. <laughs> not the Spirit capital S, friends, all right? That will not land you in jail. You will not wake up with someone you don't know. You will not be embarrassed and be told of what you did, and somebody has posted already on Instagram what you did, and you don't even remember, because being filled with the Spirit is the greater control that we should be under. Every 30 minutes, someone is killed in an alcohol-related traffic accident. Every 30 minutes. Three-fourths of the incidents of spousal abuse involves alcohol. It's the third leading cause of death behind heart disease and cancer. 11 passages on alcohol in the book of Proverbs, 9 out of 11 are cautions and warnings about the danger. So there's plenty of caution about that, and the exhortation is, if you're going to be under the influence of something, choose the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord... Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, have you ever read this verse? If, if you've read this before, and you're like, "Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual song." How am I supposed to do that? Hey, Amazing Grace. Hey, how great Thou art. You know, I mean, what what does that look like? Okay, it's number sixteen on your list. The new life has a desire to worship the Lord and to encourage others. To do the same. That's what he's saying here. Be in such an attitude of worship and thanksgiving that even when you converse with people, you're you're just like declaring the praises of God. It's always on your lips. And you're encouraging others to do the same. And he and he speaks, and some people have tried to dissect this, you know, psalms versus hymns versus spiritual songs. You know, it's different, it's different kinds of worship, you know, it's different kinds of you know, we can sing some of the old hymns and we can incorporate, you know, the spiritual songs, worship songs. You know, just speak and make melody, make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. You know, worship him and may his praise always be on your lips and encouraging others to do the same. Ocean, jump in and you'll find the corner.
1: New the book of Ephesians is a more formal letter from the Apostle Paul, touching on a variety of subjects, but landing on some major points that all followers of Jesus need to embody. One such passage reminds you that there's a war going on beyond what you can see. Spiritual forces are battling for your allegiance, but you can protect yourself. By immersing yourself in the Bible and spending time regularly with God and other believers, you'll be prepared to face whatever Satan tries to throw at you. Today, you've taken a step in that direction by joining Pastor Gary in this study on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to continue studying the book of Ephesians by revisiting some of Pastor Gary's previous teachings— you can do so at cornerstoneconnection.cc or download our mobile app to take these messages on the go with you. We'd love to meet you too, so if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We'll have a time of worship and Bible study, and we're always excited to meet new people. Be sure to tell us you listened to Cornerstone Connection. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Pastor Gary has more to share from the book of Ephesians, so join us again on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know you You're not alone